If you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to hold it up, whether you have a copy like I do in print or whether you have a copy on your phone digitally, and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Probably most of us grew up listening to nursery rhymes. And one nursery rhyme that's one of the most famous originated from a true story. There was this girl named Mary Sawyer who lived in the 1830s and she had a little pet lamb that literally began to follow her everywhere and and one day her brother encouraged her to take her pet lamb to school and so she did and as you can imagine that pet lamb caused chaos at school that day and from that experience came that nursery rhyme Mary had a little lamb Mary had a little lamb has eight verses the first verse goes like this, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb, Mary had a little lamb whose what, whose fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, Mary went, Mary went, everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Now two weeks ago, we started our series on the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John for 30-something weeks. We're breaking up this Gospel into four different parts, and Part one, we're looking at the names that reveal Jesus' nature. These word pictures that John gives us that reveal who Jesus is. And the very first one he gave us is found in the first verse of John. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this very first picture of Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the one who communicates both who Jesus is and or who God is and what God is like. And the second word picture is found in chapter 1 as well, and it's light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the only one who can lighten up our life and lighten up our world that has been darkened by sin. He's not one of many lights. He is the light of the world. But today I want us to look at this third picture that tells us who Jesus is and it's found in John chapter 1 verse 29 so if your Bible is open I want you to follow along as I read this one verse it says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now remember John John the Baptist he was the forerunner of Jesus he was the one who was called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Son of God. And the way that he did that was through preaching a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That was his basic message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent means to change, to change your mind, to change your life. And, and what John was saying is as the Messiah comes, you need to repent. You need to change 
the way you're living. You need to turn from sin and turn to God and get ready for the Messiah. This is the same message, by the way, that John, that Jesus came preaching. Jesus' very first message was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And by the way, you and I will never truly come into a real relationship, a life-changing relationship, a, a saving relationship with God apart from repenting of our sin. We have to repent, turn from sin before we can ever truly trust Jesus to save us. And so John the Baptist was preaching this message and, and one day he looked at Jesus and the light came on. He realized who Jesus was. And he said to those who were following him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word look, he was saying, be careful. Don't miss this. Pay attention. This one right here is the Lamb of God. Now in the Greek language, there are two different words that can be translated look or saw. Vincent's word study tells us that the word most often used to, um, to describe seeing literally means a, an outward seeing. It means to see with your eyes. But the other word is the word that John uses here, and it literally means a mental discernment. It means to recognize. In other words, John recognized who Jesus was. He came to the realization that Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And he stops dead in his tracks. He turns to those who are following him, and he says, pay attention. Don't miss this. That man right there, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's what I believe with all my heart. When we come to understand who Jesus really is, when we see Jesus for who he is, we're going to want to point other people to Jesus. We're going to want other people to know Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can give meaning to our life. And notice what John called Jesus. He called him the Lamb of God. Twice in John's gospel, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Once in the book of Acts, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Once in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Once in 1 Peter, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. But 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And so this morning, I want us to look at Scripture, not just this verse in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, but I want us to look at all of Scripture, and I want us to get a picture of who Jesus was as the Lamb of God. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. Jesus is the prophesied lamb. That, that word lamb or lambs is found 154 times in the Old Testament. 154 times. And when the Jews heard that expression used to describe Jesus, they would think of a number of those passages in, in their scripture, the Old Testament, that referred to Lambs. The first one, most likely, that would come to their mind was Genesis 22. 
Genesis 22 describes a story in, in the life of Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham was the one in Genesis chapter 12 that God said, I am going to make you into a great nation. And through you, I am going to bless the nations of the world. But Abraham is now 99 years old, and he and Sarah haven't had a child. He's been given this incredible promise by God, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. And he and Sarah don't even have kids. Finally, at 100 years of age, Abraham is blessed with a son, Isaac. And as you can imagine, he falls in love with Isaac. Isaac is the apple of his eye. He loves Isaac with all of his heart. But one day, God asked Abraham to do the unimaginable. He asked Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, and take him up to a mountain and sacrifice him to God. And so God tells Abraham to do the impossible and to do the unimaginable. And you know what Abraham does? He does it. He does exactly what God tells him to do. So Abraham packs up and he takes two of his servants and he takes Isaac and he begins on this journey. And three days in, he sees the place that God has told him to, to make this sacrifice, Mount Moriah. It's interesting for us that, that Mount Moriah, the place that, that Abraham was to offer Isaac at a sacrifice, was the same place that Solomon built the temple to God, where they offered sacrifices day after day. And so Abraham told the two servants to stay there, and so he and Isaac take off up to the mountain to make this sacrifice. He takes the wood to burn the sacrifice on Isaac's shoulders, and Abraham takes the knife and, and he takes the, the fire where they can burn the offering. And as they're on their way, this is what it says in verses 7 and 8. It says, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide a lamb. And that's what God did. Abraham went up on Mount Moriah. He put his son, his only son Isaac, on that altar. He put that knife up over his head. He was ready to kill his only son. When the angel of God said, stop. And there in the bushes was a lamb that God had already prepared for the sacrifice that God wanted to be made. God provided the lamb. And that lamb that was provided is a picture to us of Jesus, who was the Lamb of God. You see, Jesus was sacrificed on our behalf, but Jesus had no substitute. He was the substitute. The second picture that the Jews would think about is found in the book of Exodus. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God raised up Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery. And Moses went before Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. But if you know the story, you know that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so God brought this series of plagues upon Egypt. The final plague was the death of all the firstborn in all of Egypt. 
But God had provided a way for the Israelites to be saved. Every family, every single family was to choose a lamb. The lamb had to be one year old. It had to be without blemish or defect. And for four days, that lamb would be cared for by that family. But then on the fourth day at twilight, the father would cut the throat of the lamb. He would take the blood from that lamb and he would place it on the sides of the door. And then he would place it on the doorpost above the door, literally sealing that home with blood. And as the angel of death, the destroyer, went through Egypt, killing all of the firstborn, if the blood was on the door, the angel of death would pass over that home. That family was delivered because of the blood of the lamb. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Moses assembled all the elders of Israel. He said, select a lamb for your family. Slaughter the Passover lamb. There were probably some who thought that this was crazy and, and they didn't do it. But everyone, absolutely everyone who was not covered and protected by the blood of the lamb experienced death that night. And from that time on, every year, the entire nation would celebrate Passover and would remember how God delivered them from the angel of death, and the angel of death passed over their house because of the blood of that lamb. We'll turn over to the New Testament in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and, and the apostle Paul says this, he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, Jesus was not only that substitute lamb, that was provided on behalf of Isaac. Jesus was the Passover lamb that was provided to protect all of Israel and all of us from the angel of death. But let's move on to another passage that all of the Jews would be familiar with because every day this took place. It says in Exodus chapter 29, these are the sacrifices you were to offer regularly on the altar. And then listen. Each day, offer two lambs that are a year old, one in the morning and the other in the evening. Every day, twice a day, the priest would sacrifice two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening, to cover the sins of the people. The priest would, would sacrifice these lambs so that sinful man could approach a holy God. But every lamb sacrificed, the millions upon millions pointing to the ultimate lamb, Jesus, who would be our final, our ultimate sacrificial lamb. Now, there are two other passages I want you to see here that I think are incredible. Each one tells us about a man who, like a lamb, would be slaughtered. In Isaiah chapter 53, part of that incredible passage that speaks of Jesus it says in verse 7 he was oppressed and treated harshly yet he never said a word he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shearers he did not open his mouth and then in the book of Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 19 
it says, I was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Every time the Jews would hear that passage read, either in the temple or in the synagogue, they would probably wonder, what does this mean? But then they would also be reminded that there was one coming, a man, who like a sheep, like a lamb, would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus is the prophesied lamb. Every sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament was made in preparation for the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. But Jesus is not only the prophesied Lamb, Jesus is the perfect Lamb. Jesus is without defect, He is without blemish, He's perfect in every single way. In 1 Peter chapter 1 it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, it was precious blood, the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus is perfect, the perfect Lamb in every way. He is totally sinless. I want you to listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every single way just like us. He was tempted with money. He was tempted with power. He was tempted with fame. He was tempted with sex. Jesus was tempted in every way that you can imagine being tempted, and yet he was never sinful in any way. He never gave in and had a thought that was sinful. He never said a word, even under his breath, that was sinful. He never had a look at something or someone in a sinful way. He never committed an action that was sinful. You think that you're tempted? Satan and the demons of hell threw everything they had at Jesus. And yet he was sinless, without fault. And he had to be. Jesus had to pass that test. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The only way Jesus could pay for our sin was to be without sin. The sinless Son of God became sin so that sinful man might be made right with God. Jesus is the prophesied lamb. Jesus is the perfect lamb, but Jesus is also the powerful lamb. I want you to look back at what John said in John chapter 1 verse 29. He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, these sacrifices were made daily and yearly, but they would only cover the sins of the people for a period of time. 
they would never take away the sins. That's why day after day and year after year, the sacrifices were made. But I want you to listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, listen, which can never take away sins. These priests, day after day, year after year, made the same sacrifice time after time. But these sacrifices could only cover for a period of time the sins of the people. They never could take away the sins. But then it says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. The sacrifices that were being made in the temple could never take away our sins, but Jesus took them away. He removed them once and for all. He blots them out. He buries them in the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far Jesus removes our sin from us. Listen, there are some of you today who are carrying around guilt for sins that you have already taken to the cross and Jesus has already taken those sins away. You need to quit carrying that guilt around. You need to leave it at the foot of the cross because Jesus has already removed it from you. And notice what it says. It says Jesus takes away the sins of the world, everyone's sins, everywhere throughout time. Some people struggle with this idea that they've been too bad, that their sins are unforgivable. But listen, there is nothing that is too bad to take to the Lamb of God. Whatever it is, Jesus won't just cover it up. He will remove it. He will take it away. He will blot it out. Anyone who comes to the Lamb to have their sins forgiven will have their record expunged. But the story of the Lamb doesn't stop with his death. Jesus is the prophesied Lamb. He is the perfect Lamb. He is the powerful Lamb. But the Bible goes on and tells us that Jesus is the praised Lamb. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This passage takes us to heaven. And this incredible worship service that is going on there that focuses on the Lamb of God. They are falling before His feet. They are singing songs of praise. They are shouting words of praise. It's incredible. And then in verse 13 it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and even under the sea 
And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. I'm afraid that many of us have never truly understood the praise that is going on in heaven right now. And the praise that will go on for all eternity. And listen, our services are just a warm-up, a preparation for what you and I are to do for all eternity. The Lamb is worthy of our praise. That means that when we gather together corporately, He is worthy of our praise. And when we scatter to our individual homes, He is worthy of our praise. And so I ask you, when God looks down on our worship gathering, does He see people who are praising the Lamb with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength? Or does He see people who are disengaged? Who are just going through the motions. Who are bored and ready to get out of here. Listen, brothers and sisters, the Lamb of God, He is worthy of our praise. But there's a fifth thing we see. And that is Jesus is the provoked Lamb. And you say, Rocky, what do you mean by that? Well, listen to what it says in Revelation 6. Verses 16 and 17, it says that they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? Now we just got through walking through the book of Revelation and we discovered that the majority of the book of Revelation speaks of the wrath of the Lamb. God's righteous judgment upon sinful man. And some of you may say, well, why is God angry? Why is there the wrath of the Lamb, this explosive anger of God? And I'll tell you why. You see, Jesus is this Lamb who gave his all so that sinful man could be restored to God, could be made right with God so that our sins could be forgiven but instead of humbly repenting of our sins and seeking God we've tried to remove God from our life we, we've tried to live our life separate from him and our God is patient oh he is so patient with us but there is coming a day when God's patience will be spent and God's judgment will come. Understand, you are either going to praise the Lamb or you're going to provoke the Lamb to anger and wrath. One or the other. Now the final thing we see is this. Jesus is the providing Lamb. Now, I want you to look at me for just a moment. Some of us have this idea that when we place our trust in Jesus, when we give our life to Jesus, then everything is going to go good in our life. I mean, everything is going to be puppies and rainbows. I mean, it's just going to be a wonderful life. And there's no 
pain, there's no sorrow, there's no heartache, there are no struggles, but that's just not true. You see, the reality is, as long as I live in this sinful flesh, and as long as I am a part of a sinful world, there will be heartache, there will be problems, there will be suffering, there will be pain. But praise God, there's coming a day when all of that will be part of the past. And listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 7 verse 17. It says, for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Did you get that? There's coming a day when the lamb of God will wipe away every single tear from our eyes. There are some of you who have tears of sorrow. You have experienced loss. There's coming a day when he'll wipe those tears away. Some of you have tears of pain. You may be living with chronic pain. But there's coming a day when he'll wipe away those tears. There are some of you who have tears of heartache and disappointment and hurt. People have let you down. People have stabbed you in the back. People have done hateful things to you. But there's coming a day when he'll wipe away every tear. The Lamb of God will do that for those who love him. For those who have called upon him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then I want you to look at one other verse. And I want you to go back to John chapter 1. And I want us to look at really three verses. It's verses 35 through 37. In John chapter 1 verses 29, Jesus or John is walking. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the very next day, I want you to listen to what happened. Verse 35, it's the following day. John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, Jesus looked, or John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. This is what I want you to know. When you see Jesus for who he is, when you really come to understand what he has done for you, you will follow the Lamb. You see, to know the Lamb is to follow the Lamb. And so I really have two questions for you as we close this morning. Do you know the Lamb? I mean, do you really know Him? Not, do you know about Him? All of us in this room probably know about the Lamb, at least a little bit about the Lamb. That, that's not the question. The question is, do you know Him? personally, intimately? Have you met him? Has he changed your life? Has he forgiven your sins? Has he made you brand new? Behold the Lamb of God who, who not only takes away the sin of the world, takes your sin away. My sin away. Do you know him? And then second, are you following? 
I, I really do believe when we know the Lamb, there's going to be something inside of us that causes us to want to follow Him for the rest of our life. When I was growing up, there was a song that we would sing at the invitation a lot of times. It's wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll take up my cross. I'll follow Him. Wherever He leads, I'll go. And I really think that when we know Him, that's the desire of our heart. Wherever He leads, whatever He calls us to do, we want to do it. Because we love Him. And He's changed our life. And so I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I want to just simply ask you, do you know Him? I mean, do you really know him? Not know about him. That's not going to do you any good. But do you know him? Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has changed my life? If you're here and you don't know him, but today you're ready to know him, then I encourage you to humble yourself before God and just very simply but sincerely pray this prayer to him, dear God. I humbly come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. I've acted as if I were God. Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. Today I'm trusting you to save me, to forgive me, and make me new. Come into my heart, take control of my life, fill me with your spirit. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Jesus.